podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Celtic State of Mind, it is Friday, the end of another week, um, and I am here as always with the other two amigos of the three, Tony Haggerty, how you doing Tony? I'm very well, how are you yourself? Not too bad, Jim, how are you doing this week? Fine Laura, how are you? Not too bad, getting there, um, uh, a slightly different note to start on, a slightly sad note to start on this week, obviously uh, our guest the Celt feature on a Friday um, that we started a few weeks ago um, is taking on a little bit of a different um, slant this week. Uh, we decided to go for um, the unforgettable Bertie Old and you'll have seen on, you'll have seen on Twitter uh, that I shared his um, playing career where he played uh, for Celtic first between 1955 and 61 uh, he was on loan at Dumbarton during that time for 15 games in the 56-57 season went down to Birmingham for four years um, came back to Celtic where obviously he went on and conquered Europe as part of the famous Lisbon Lions and then finished his career in the early 70s at Hibernian um, Jim I'm going to come to you first on um, on Bertie Old but before I do that I've just got something I want to share um, from the club now obviously for anybody who hasn't seen it um, Bertie's family announced yesterday that he's sadly been um, diagnosed with dementia Um, the Celtic Football Club shared that statement from the the family but also shared this with with, um, a Celtic State of Mind and various other media outlets they said um, our thoughts are with Bertie and his family Bertie Old's family would like to thank Celtic fans and football fans in general and ask them to keep Bertie in their prayers as they confirm today that he's suffering with dementia. The family would like to thank everyone for their huge support huge support, and request privacy during this difficult time. Bertie has been well cared for in his own home surrounded by all the family. Everyone at Celtic would like to add their best wishes to Bertie and his family. Bertie is a true Celtic icon, one of our greatest sons and someone the club and our supporters love and respect dearly. We all continue to give Bertie and his family our love, care and ongoing full support during this hugely challenging time. Um, unfortunately, it's not... The the disease of dementia is not a stranger to the Celtic family. It's it's taken so many of our heroes before and, and, and to hear that Bertie has been um, 
diagnosed is, is just heartbreaking. But I'm talking to two men here today who, who've both had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with Bertie over the years and, and, and chatted to him on and off. Um, Jim, you wrote a play that was written, uh, that was named after him and you, you've spent some time with him last year, that's right, and you've got a few good stories about him. Uh, I don't know about a few good stories. I've only met Bertie the once, but uh, mm. it's quite a long story to get to the point that I'm going to make. It was such devastating news yesterday. Uh, last week I said that I'm still obsessed about football, but I'm not in love as much with the football. But there's one person who you can't help but love, and that's Bertie Alders. As the song goes, everyone loves Bertie. For the past two or three years, I've immersed myself in all things Bertie. Uh, and I finally got to meet him last year. And 2020 was a, was a really hard year for everyone. But my highlight of 2020 was spending 10 minutes in the company of Bertie Old. Just me and him, Bertie Old and me. Uh, but I've kind of got a lot of story that, so hopefully we've got enough time today. Uh, four years ago, I wrote a play called Benderley Brabback. I think I was wanting to play the SEC, quite surreal. And the year after that, I thought I need to write the follow-up to this. And I'm going to call it Benderley and Bertie. And it's about the Scottish Cup run. In 1965, which all Celtic fans will know about, that was the launch pad for the Lisbon Lions, nine in a row. So it takes me about a year to write Bender and Bertie, and just about finished it a couple of years ago, and I got a phone call out of the blue from Des McLean, funny, funny man, Billy Connolly's favourite comedian, and asked me would I fancy writing a play, a kind of known football play. So cut long story short, nothing came of that. But Des is a massive, massive Celtic fan. And he said, if you're going to make another play about Celtic, can I be in it? Basically, because it's on my bucket list. It's top of my bucket list. I need to be in a Celtic play. So I tell him, I'm just about finished Bender like Bertie. And Des going, going to let me be in that. I need to be in that. No care. Be in mind. So hangs up the phone. And two minutes later, I get a phone call. And it's Des McLean impersonating Bertie. <laughs> and he's phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal with Bertie. And Des tells me the story that he came back from Vegas with Bertie and he spent 10 hours chatting to Bertie all on a plane. Didn't want the plane journey to stop. He said, the greatest 10 hours of my life, chatting to Bertie old. So he had Bertie down. He could, he could do Bertie. So that made me think a wee bit more because the play itself, I mean, it wasn't about Bertie. I mean, it wasn't a, the Bertie old story. I mean, it mentions him a few times and he's influential in that cup run and he scores a double in the final obviously but it wasn't the Bertie old story but then I thought well if Desmond Lane can actually impersonate Bertie what I'll maybe do is take one of the main characters out and I'll stick Bertie old in and we'll see how that works so it takes me a couple of months and I kind of finish the kind of first draft of the play and I send it to Desmond Lane and I said how do you fancy actually playing Bertie love it need to do this it sounds brilliant let's do it now so I booked some nights in a theatre last September and then Covid hit so that put it on the back burner. But I said today, we really need to speak to Bertie and his family to tell them we're actually going to do this. You're going to play Bertie on stage just to make they're okay with us. Now, I don't know any people at all, you know, anyone famous, apart from maybe Paul John Dyke, that's the most famous person. Haggerty now, Brabber now, so that's you can have getting there. But, but Des knows everyone. Again, cut a long story, dead short, Des managed to get a meeting between Des, me, uh, Bertie's son Robert and Bertie Straven Golf Club last August and I'm going to go and meet Bertie. So 
Robert meets us at the entrance and takes us in. And there he is. He's like 10 feet away. He's barely old. He's barely old in the flesh. And I'm totally starstruck. An old man like me, totally starstruck. And he comes across to me like I'm his best pal. He's known me for years. Jim, 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 how are you, son? Yeah, I've been really looking forward to meeting you. And I'm thinking, how can Bertie Old possibly be looking forward to meeting me? You know? And then I, I go to do the elbows thing. Remember the elbows thing we used to do back last year? And he's having none of it. He's shaking hands. Jim, brilliant. It's magnificent to meet you. You know, so, so we sit down and it's my play. So I spend, I don't know, 45 minutes or so chatting about this play. And I'm saying, it's not a Bertie Old story. But Barry, you're in the play, and Des plays you, and he's in the play, and it's a madcap, off-the-wall comedy. And I said, I've got all this memorabilia, uh, cup stuff, league stuff, the wee green book, uh, the CSE handbooks and all this stuff. And Bertie's looking at them and said, oh, this is, this is magnificent, Jim. It's magnificent. And then uh, Robert then says he has to go and get his wife. So I'm thinking, that's what's finished. I've had 45 minutes. He says, no, 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 fine. You just stay. I'll be right in 20 minutes. And then Des says, he's to, he, he, he has to phone somebody back. So Des then leaves. So it's me and Bertie Old. Just me and Bertie Old. Surreal. So Bertie then starts to ask me, what do I do? So I start to tell him some of the stuff that I do. And I tell him I'm involved with a thing called Football Memories. It's an Alzheimer's Scotland project. Uh, and Bertie's really interested in this. And I'm telling him that uh, one pound from the sale of tickets will go towards Football Memories and we'll have a bucket collection on the night to raise more money for Football Memories and we'll have posters to raise awareness about Football Memories and I then explain because he's dead interested I explain how Football Memories works and how it works basically is I go into a care home once a week and have a chat with maybe half a dozen elderly men who've all got dementia and basically I've got a box of cards with me and I'll show them pictures of old football players to try and spark some sort of memories from them. And in the story I told Bertie, I said, I'll, I'll go in and there's maybe half a dozen people there. So I'll get a card out and I'll put that up. I don't know if you can see that, it's Jimmy Johnson. And I'll say, who's that? So the first maybe two or three people, which are kind of blank, they don't know. And then one guy will pipe up and he'll say, Jinky. That's Jinky, that is. And then you'll say, what can you tell me about Jinky? Jimmy Johnson's his name. Aye, what can you tell me about Jimmy Johnson? Red Star Belgrade. And you say, what can you tell me about Red Star Belgrade? 5-1, 5-1, and Jinky was brilliant, right? And I'm saying, what else can you tell me? And he just went blank after that, you know. So this is a man who couldn't remember what he had for breakfast two hours ago. But for 20 seconds or so, he was talking about Jimmy Johnson and Red Star Belgrade. And I was telling Bertie that one of the early scenes in the play, it's an elderly man and he's in the early stages of dementia and his daughter's taking him to a football memory session at the local library and it's Bertie Old and John Farland are going to be there and they're going to do a talk. But when the daughter says John Farland, it sparks her dad off and he starts going, Farland, young Gemmel, Mother McNeil Clark, Chalmers Gallagher mm -hmm. Hughes, Lennox Old. Farland Young, do, 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 because that sparks his memory. And after I say that, Bertie then says, oh, I the 65 cup winning team, Jim. Oh, what a team that was. He says, he says that's my favourite ever game. And because I've been obsessed with Bertie for two or three years, I know 
It's his favourite ever game. So then, this is what I'm leading up to, sorry. This is my 10 minutes coming now. <laughs> so basically, I'm there with Bertie Old, just me and Bertie Old. And I say to Bertie, just so happens, Bertie, I've got some of the cards with me. Right? So I get all these cards out, basically. And the first one I give him, obviously, is going to be him. So I go, would you make it him, Bertie? So Bertie gets a card and he says, hey, he was magnificent. He was magnificent. And what a player he was. Handsome. Handsome as well. Like, totally surreal experience. I'm sitting with Bertie old. And I'm going through all these cars, Law and Tully and Baxter and all these guys. And he's commenting them on. Now he's a dirty big so-and-so. I'm all <laughs> And this is, this is the greatest 10 minutes. Maybe not of my life. They certainly have 2020. And the only thoughts when Des McLean comes back. And I have to share Bertie with somebody else then. And then Robert comes back and his wife comes back this time as well. And uh, so we spent another half an hour of me just rabbit knowing about this play. And the plan basically was to get the six surviving players, John Fallon, Charlie Gallagher, John Clark, Bobby Lance, John Hughes and Bertie Old, all to the play, basically. And then at the end of every night, we'll get them all individually, get them on the stage, get them to take a bow, huge applause, all that kind of stuff. So Bertie, Robert's, Robert's wife, they're all dead enthusiastic. Sounds, sounds brilliant. So Bertie gets a picture with the poster and gets a few pictures with Des McLean. Unbelievable hour and a half. So it's very last September. COVID kicks in. There's going to be this May. COVID kicks in. It's going to be September. It starts September. I haven't advertised it yet because the theatre online ticketing system isn't working. And then so these news. Devastated. So I've only contact Robert next week. Just to, is it still okay to go ahead with this? Not if he doesn't fancy to doing it, then we'll just have to leave it. But it'll be such a brilliant celebration of Bertie. And as I say, hopefully it'll raise some money for football memories. The Saints should never be heroes. That doesn't apply to Bertie. I mean, he's such a force in nature. So, so positive. And it's just devastating about dementia. And my thoughts and prayers are with Bertie and and Robert and his family. So hopefully that wasn't too long. That's my that's my only Bertie story. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, and, and what a story. Um, just thanks everybody for your comments. They're coming through in droves on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube where we're live. I think Peter Davy on YouTube sums it up really, really well. He says, terribly sad news about Bertie Old. Legend on and off the park in our prayers, 10.30. Um, do you know what f- fascinated me about that story, Jim, was... You could tell when you were talking about being starstruck and how you don't get starstruck much these days and that's what football can do to you. That that you're standing I, 20 yards away from a Lisbon line and you're as excited as when you were 10 years old or whatever. It's amazing. Um, Tony, mm-hmm. I know you've had the pleasure of having a few chats with Bertie. The, the ultimate storyteller, if ever there was one. And I think that's what strikes you about the, the news. You know, you hope those stories are never lost. But what are your experiences of the man? My job allows you certain privileges in life. Uh, one of them, as Jim says, is <clears throat> meeting Bertie, but being his pal. And honest to God, the man is, as Jim said, a force of nature. <clears throat> He's a He's a brilliant raconteur. Just a wonderful, wonderful human being. But <laughs> two of my favourite Bertie anecdotes, and I'm pretty short. He should have played in the 1957 League Cup final, right? He, but he was dropped from the squad. He never even seen the game. Uh, and a, a reporter said to him, told him the score, and said to him, what's your thoughts? And it's still to just 171. 
and he said, it's a tragedy, son, but it's a marvellous tragedy. And that was his words, right? And the reporter was like, sent away, kind of. And then there was a time he told, he likes telling a story, he was lining up in the tunnel at Ibrooks, and, and John Gregg shouts to him, Bertie, what's your win bonus today? And Bertie says, five quid. And Gregg says, we're on a tenner. And Bertie says, my fiver's guaranteed. I'll see you there. And Bobby Murdoch was creased in the two of them. There's, there's the footage of the two of them creasing their sides laughing as they're, they're heading out to Ibrooks. But I'm in Cavos in 2009, and I'm in a pub, and I'm about to watch Manchester United, Manchester City, in the midday kickoff. And there's a massive big hill that leads to the bosom. And so I'm sitting kind of, it's, the pub's on a strip, so I'm kind of half edging out. And I'm looking up, and there's a figure coming down the hill. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Real chest, denim shorts, sandals, shorts, and I'm looking and I'm like, no, I think it is, is it? So I've jumped out, kind of midway up the hill, and I've went, 10.30. And he's went, 20, son. And he's ran down. And before you can say another word, hell, hell, the shouts are. The trees are just jumping about in the middle of this hill in Cavos. He says, what are you doing? I says, I'm, I'm over and holding my pal. He says, I've told the wife I'm going for a walk. I says, oh, well, come into the pub. So walk into the pub, and we're sitting with six guys from Manchester, the company split between Man City and Man U fans. So we walk in and I sit down and I say, guys, I don't know how to say that. I says, but allow me the honour of introducing 1967 European Cup winner, Lisbon Lion, Celtic player, Bertie Old. And honestly, they're all like that. They just look at them and Bertie just holds court for the next, I don't know, it was a game Michael Owen scored in the last minute. Nobody even bothered about that. Bertie sat for four hours, had me bought a drink, he signed everything, Talk about a Racon tour, brilliant, just a sensational company. And then he says to me after four hours, I think I've done enough walking, Tony. So <laughs> 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 he toddles off up the hill, right? And I'm thinking, brilliant, he's not spent a penny. Magic, had a great day, tremendous. And so he's just disappearing over the Brower Hill. And the barman comes over and says, see the wee old guy there? I says, aye. 
And I just kind of looked at him with the wee old guy. Uh, he says, he just put a hundred quid behind the bar and said to you boys to have a drink on him. Man was going to kill him. I'm shouting, Bernie! <laughs> you know, and he disappears. He just sort of, the hand went up like that. But uh, you do two things in Bertie's company. You sing a lot, but you laugh even more. And I mean, barely laugh, right? And Bertie famously said that Jock Steen said to him whenever he pulled on the hoop jersey, we do one thing, entertain. Bertie's a born entertainer. He's a wonderful raconteur. He's a fantastic ambassador for Celtic. And if, if you get a chance, watch the YouTube footage when Ronnie O'Sullivan meets Bertie Held at Celtic Park. It's an absolute joy and marvel to behold. Ronnie O'Sullivan, the world champion, thinks he's famous. And he is putty in Bertie's hands and he adores him. And as Jim said, it's a guy that's universally loved. Everybody loves Bertie. And he is the definition of a bona fide football legend. He played in the greatest Scottish club bar none, the Lisbon Lions. And he won the greatest prize in the European football, European Cup. And yesterday's news was pretty pretty devastating, but I'll say this, he's one of Celtic football clubs and Celtic family's national treasures. He'll always be cherished. My prayers and thoughts will be very old, Robert, his family at this time. God bless you always, Tintetly. Um, another fantastic story, and um, to give a bit of um, sort of a point of view from a younger person who obviously didn't see him play, who has no memory or knowledge of, of, of the Lisbon Lions as players. I think what hits me so hard when you when you see news like this come through is um, they are kind of like, for, for somebody like me who, who, who lost the only living grandparent that I remember when I was 12 years old, they, they de facto became kind of, you know, grandparents of a sort and, I, and I, I say that without meaning any disrespect he's actual to these players actual family and friends obviously it's not the same thing but you know from the day now I've been born I could name you that 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 Lisbon Lion 11 Simpson Gemmel Craig Clark McNeil you know you could go through the whole team and the few times, uh, the only time I remember meeting any one of them in the flesh was, was, was Bobby Lennox at, at, at I was walking up to Hamden to the Scottish Cup final um, a few years ago and I, something happened and I ended up ending up having to go myself because um, the, nobody else was going that day and it, thankfully it turned out I ended up with a bunch of lads from school sitting right in front of me so it was it was fine but you know Bobby Lennox was just walking up to the stadium I thought I, I know that guy and I don't know where my brain was that day I thought, and I just waved and said hello and he said hello and then I heard somebody shout, Bobby. And I thought, that's Bobby Lennox. And I imagine from the stories that you're saying that Bertie Old was exactly the same. He treated every Celtic fan, or he treats every Celtic fan like they're his oldest pal. Because in so many ways, even though they've never met, they are. They know his story. He wants to hear, hear their story about how they've viewed what he did for Celtic Football Club through their lens. He's as interested and the fans that have remembered him and his pals that won the European Cup over 50 years ago and um, it's such a refreshing attitude and in the day and age where you could become so cynical about football where 
it's just a paycheck to so many players and the club that they play for is, is but, a, but a crest on their chest for the time that they're playing. Celtic was was in his blood back then. It's in his blood now. It's in his heart. Um, I'm devastated by the news. I'm devastated by it, but hopefully the stories that he's told, uh, even if he's no longer able to tell them, will be told for generations to come and I hope that remains the case. Um, yeah, but we'll try and lift the mood a little bit. Our thoughts are with you, Bertie. We're thinking of you always. We're thinking of the family and, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody watching this is as well. Um, we'll move on anyway to complaining about the current day because that's what we normally do in this. this <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We are positive. We are positive. Jim, I wanted to get your thoughts on a specific thing. Obviously, neither Tony or I are, are current season ticket holders. Um, the renewal date uh, is coming up for, for the Celtic season tickets and there's been a lot of back and forth about whether people are getting, obviously, value for money, that kind of thing. Um, but Celtic announced this week um, my Celtic match day, which is a registration period you have to, uh, process you have to go through for attending reduced, um, reduced capacity matches. Now, there was a bit of the wording of the statement I find a bit strange because my my attitude is if you're paying between four hundred and six hundred pounds for a for a, a season ticket, my suspicion is that you would want to go to whatever matches you're able to get to. But the, but they said in the statement, um, supporters who wish to attend reduced capacity matches must register for my Celtic match day, which will help us understand the desired requirements for each season ticket holder. And I thought it was a bit of a strange thing. Um, and that's obviously coming from me who's not got a season ticket so I'm not hugely invested in that but what did you think about it as somebody who's you know paid your money last year not having seen any football and, and presumably is going to do the same for, for some of this year as well yeah I'll do the same again this year I'll renew uh, I think they have to watch the wording at times I think the, the, the three of us have mentioned this before that my words are very important and stuff like that and mm. they talked about the deadline by being next Friday you know the deadline's next Friday no extension nothing else tough. Mm. It's a bit like that. You know, it's a bit like that. I think they have to watch what they say. Uh, obviously, maybe they have been uh, constrained by the COVID rules that they go. Maybe they have to do certain things. Logistically, I don't know how they're going to do it. Uh, but having mm. let best part of 12,000 fans into Hamden, you must assume that there's going to be at least 12,000 going to the game. So mm. how do they pick the 12,000 that are going to the game? Do they make it, you know, only people who live in the area? That'd be unfair. Uh, apart from me, because I live in the area, uh, <laughs> so not exactly sure how they're going to how they're going to do this. And yes, you do have to if you get your season ticket and you live in Ireland, you're coming to the game. Come yeah. what may, because you've been starved of football now for 15, 16 months. People want to get back into the stadium. I can only imagine it's some sort of rule that they're trying to follow. Uh, but if I'm them, I'm assuming there's you know if they were to sell, and it's a huge ask to sell another fifty four thousand season tickets you need to assume they're all coming to the game guys so get yourself sorted out uh, I, got my, I got my voucher in yesterday again they're sending these things through the post why are they doing this stuff mm. you know when you read Dom, Dom Mackay talking about you know we need to you know from top to bottom I mean, we shouldn't have to be trying to improve things from top to bottom it just shows you what kind of state that we're in just now but uh, People won't renew until the last possible minute. So you maybe think maybe they should have given some incentive, maybe knock off a tenner for you know and only renew or twenty quid or something like that. And that gets back to the mm. value thing again. But people tend not to renew quickly. They know that I mean they talk about this waiting list, uh, which 
some people, including myself, are a bit sceptical about it in terms of the numbers that are on that waiting list. Uh, so if you don't get your ticket, somebody else is going to get your ticket instead. I, I think that's a bit of a bluff. Uh, but most people tend to wait a wee bit longer. Uh, the chances are I'll, I'll renew by next Friday's deadline and I'll fill this format that I need to fill in to say, see how I bought a season ticket? I'd like to go to the games. Uh, <laughs> logistically, log- logistically, I've got no idea how it's going to work. Uh, I've been reading a lot of stories this week about Scotland fans at the game on Monday, which I was desperate to go to. I was up at the park trying to get a ticket. I didn't get a sniff of a ticket. Some real scare stories about getting searched, getting in and what you could and you couldn't do. And then once they get inside, you could do what you wanted. Nobody would get mm. people because people were sitting where they wanted and stuff like that. So again, I think as football fans, we tend to be quite simplistic. You know, if you want to let a quarter of the fans in, so 15,000 people get to go to Celtic Park logistically, how do you actually do that? And then once you've got your 15,000 and they're in the stadium, how do you actually manage those 15,000? It's what a bunch of people, no names, get together and you've got a group of 100, 200 people. Are you meant to separate them? And so, so I think there's, you know, a wee bit of work to be done in terms of how this thing works. But yeah, it did seem a bit strange. You know, if you're buying a season ticket, do you don't want to come? Uh, yeah, maybe, please. So that's my view. Yeah. Tony, I'm, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, that we're, we're slightly overreacting to every utterance that the club make because of the way that the season's gone. But I mean, I, I do think even with a level head and with with the with the benefit of time and, and and things having calmed down, I was still baffled by it. I was still kind of like, what do you expect of people who are paying all that money? Of course, they want to go to the games. I'm not saying that they don't have to have a registration thing like this to, you know, organise how they're going to hand out who goes to what games. That's fine, but don't. Don't insinuate in the statement that there might be people who are happy to pay the money for the season ticket but not go to the games, because I don't think that's the case. Have you ever known a Celtic supporter to buy a season ticket and not use it? Regardless of how bad the team performed, you know? And I think that's something that was missing this season. The fans wanted to try and play their part to lift the team. And that was what a lot of the frustration was, even though Mm. the team were underperforming. They wanted, they, they, they like to think that had they been in the stadium, they could have made a difference. They might well have. We'll, we'll never ever know. But don't tell me people want to fork out 400 and 600 quid not to watch football. I mean, it's, it, I, I'm like you. I, I'm baffled by the question. Do you want to just give us your money but sit in the house? You know, that like you'd be doing us a favour if you did that, if you ticked that box. Mm. No right mind's going to tick that box. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I, I find it staggering. And as Jim said, it's the communication with, with the club has hardly been exemplary for a lot of months now. But my goodness, I, I, it's almost bordering on insulting your intelligence with that question. You know, do you want, to, you want a season ticket? Yes. Do you actually want to watch the football? Sorry? Am I, am I missing something? Am I paying hundreds of pounds for the privilege of not watching football. Someone explained that to me. And then as Jim says, how do they decide who goes then? How, how is this going to come about? Because fans will be allowed into the stadiums because we've had 15,000 ha- inside Hamden and people gathering in Glasgow Green and things like that to watch various events. So they're going to have to let fans in. Who decides that? And is it going to be 
if you paid X amount for a season ticket, you get priority. So a 600 quiz season ticket, are you going to get first dibs at games? You know, has anyone told you that? Or is it is it a sliding scale? Does that make you more or less of a Celtic supporter because you pay more for your season ticket? I wouldn't be surprised if they were working it out on that kind of scale. Mm. I mean, Miravchik25 on YouTube's commented, it's like buying an annual rail ticket and then getting the bus to work. It's, it's, it's a bit of a strange thing. I mean, strange Love the Doctor here on YouTube has said, and I don't, I don't know whether, I, I've never read out Strange Love the Doctor's comments before, so I don't know if, if they're having his on a little bit, but it says, I don't even need access to go to the games. I will pay them for defending the integrity of Celtic, her fans, and protecting the Scottish game. I mean, I, I see that to an extent maybe last season when we were all a bit up in the air and we didn't really know what was happening with the pandemic and that kind of thing, but Surely, you know, people's generosity, as far as that concerned, has been stretched mm. far enough. Um, Jim, you're the best person to ask about that as, as somebody who paid all that money to, to not see a single kick of the ball last season. What do you make of that as a statement? Do you feel a moral obligation to pay Celtic money just because you're a supporter? No, of course not. There's, there's no moral obligation for anyone to do anything. Uh, mm. We've had this chat before about what makes a fan... Etc. And I think a fan's different from a supporter because uh, I think one of the one of the USPs about this podcast, a Celtic state of mind, is actually it's such a good title that it does affect your state of mind, you know. And that's what determines if you're a fan or not. Because you a supporter. I mean, I could. I mean, a few years since I maybe watched an El Clasico day, and for watching Barcelona playing Real Madrid, I'll support Barcelona. Mm. But if they want to lose, it'll affect my mental state for about 10 minutes or for about 10 seconds. I'm not bothered. Whereas <laughs> if, if Celtic lose a game, that's me, you know, angry for the... Until the next game comes along, it's to me a fan, which is short of a fanatic, which is an obsessed person. So we're all obsessed. And uh, and it's up to individual people what they want to do, where they want to go or not. Uh, I think I said in the past that you know people who are not paying because they don't like the board, I don't think that'll make any difference. No. You know, I think if you actually want to have change, then you have to have do. You have to actually, you know, be part of a group, be that the uh, supporters association, affiliation, Celtic trust, whatever it's going to be. If you want to do something, you get part of that. I, I don't think that not renewing your ticket. I think there will be other people, maybe not the big waiting list that they think there is, but people will take up your ticket. So it's up to individuals, and, and what I would always stress: it's not up to any Celtic fan to tell any other Celtic fan what to do, because we. I was involved in a campaign, Save Ourselves, back in 1990. And the first thing we agreed on was we would never say anything like that because it's not up to us to tell any Celtic fan not to go to a football match. If they're going every single week for the last 20 years and we're saying, by the way, you shouldn't go, it's mm. not within our right to say that. So it's up to every individual Celtic fan. For those who are fortunate to be able to afford a season ticket and are able to go... As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. That's their choice, whether they mm. want to go or not. Nothing to do with anyone else. And we do understand that if everyone takes up their season tickets, then we've got a better chance to compete next year. Mm -hmm. Totally get that. And if we don't renew, then we're going to have to cut our cloth accordingly. 
So therein lies the Pepsi challenge. It's a bit, it's a difficult, difficult balancing act. I think most people, if they can afford to, will end up renewing, but not because of some moral obligation. I think it's up to mm. the individuals what they want to do. Jim, I think you're entirely right. We are fanatics. Only a fanatic like myself would pay nearly £70 for a T-shirt, as in the new kit that has been pre-ordered. That's what I've just done. So, uh, I mean, there's support in all kinds of different ways. Um, we all yeah. we all support the club in our, our, our different ways. Some go to the games, some aren't able to, some have all the paraphernalia and do the collecting. And, and, and I just love speaking to any kind of different Celtic fanatic and, and seeing what it is about the club that they love. Um, Tony, it's, it's a strange one because I think... I think people feel like their loyalty has been tested. It would have been tested to an extent anyway because they've not been able to be at the games and things like that. It's been tested a lot more because of the way we've we've, we've acted on on and off the pitch this season as well. I think. Yeah, listen, as Tim said, it's a freedom of choice whether you want to renew your season ticket or not. Doesn't make you any less of a fan if you do or you don't. It's it's not. We can't quantify being a Celtic fan in in financial terms, it's it's an emotional investment for life. You'll never stop being a Celtic fan, whether whether you stop uh, buying your season ticket or not. You know, some people might not be able to afford that after the year we've just had. It's a simple fact of economics, but it doesn't make them any less of a fan. Mm-hmm. You, your, your fanaticism is your emotional investment and as Jim said there, and I've said before, you can only support one football club. If Barcelona lose with Messi and the team, and you like Messi, so be it. It upsets you for 10 seconds. But if Celtic lose, you get pretty, pretty darn annoyed about it. You know, and that's why people get really annoyed last season, because they weren't winning. You know, and, and so the, their way of maybe getting some recompense or, or uh, getting, you know, Answering back the board by means of a protest is maybe not to take up their season ticket. But as, as Jim also said, then as they write, as the board always say, well, we've got plenty of people lining up. The numbers might not be what they say they are, but you know, it's, again, it's, it's down to your freedom of choice. Mm-hmm. Act accordingly as a Celtic supporter, but you you never feel that you have to do something. Mm-hmm. You do it because you want to do something, and I think that's the the emotional pull of Celtic. You know, this will go to the wire to next Friday for a lot of people who then their heart will probably rule their head and they'll do it. Yeah. You know, my father, for the first time in a long time, was telling me I'm, I'm seriously considering you know, not renewing. I said, oh, wow. And I went up the other day on Monday and he went, I renewed my ticket. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> you, you thought about that for a good 10, 15 minutes, eh? You know, but you know what I mean? So that's, mm. and Celtic kind of know that they have these people out there mm. and then others waiting in the wings if if those if those supporters don't renew. Mm. So it, it is a catch-22, but it, it's never going to be measured on a scale of fandom. I, I can think it was, I don't know who it was, but once you're a Celtic fan, that's it for life. That that's it. Whether you and as you and you said before, it's no quantified by the Celtic news being up to here or mm. or anything you've ever bought. It's 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 never it's never quantified in terms of finance. It's just an emotional attachment, 
that you have to a football club, which will never ever be quantified in terms of money. Yeah. Um, just to close out the conversation and add a bit of balance to it, um, somebody on Facebook, unfortunately, Facebook has a certain option where you have to you have to give permission to use your name. So I unfortunately can't see your name, but somebody on Facebook has said, you guys are exaggerating this. They are trying to prepare for getting the fans in for the Euro tie. There are people who have bought tickets and are not yet prepared to get back in for whatever reason. There are also fans like me that have had have three tickets, but my children can't legally attend without me. They are trying to ensure that when uh, they do the ballots, it's going to be 12,000 fans in the ground, that's all. There's plenty to complain about um, regarding Celtic, but not the housekeeping of trying to manage a return to the stadium. And I, and I think that's fair. I think maybe, you know, maybe maybe we do overreact a little bit, but I think to, to pick up on what Jim said, I think uh, I think a little bit caref- more careful wording of the statement might have been in, in order as far as this is concerned. But uh, again, to quote Jim, we move on. Uh, we we move on to other things. Uh, one thing I wanted to pick up on, and Tony, I'll come to you on this first. Um, Ange Postecoglou spoke to um, Celtic uh, earlier this week. Um, and one thing that he sort of was emphasising, which I found quite encouraging, was um, an emphasis on youth football and on giving people a chance uh, in Celtic setup. It's something we've been crying out for and something that we hope hope uh, does happen going forward. Um Obviously, the club are back in that. They've just signed uh, a highly rated young striker, Joey Dawson from Scunthorpe. He's 18 years old. He's come in on a three-year contract. And they've just um, uh, signed a new deal with um, young keeper Toby Oluwiemi, uh, who came to us from Tottenham a couple of years ago. So there is a there is an investment going on in youth. Um, and it seems to be something in line with what um, Ange Postacoglu's sort of philosophy will be going forward what did you make of that as a kind of statement and uh, do you think it looks like the club might be back in that going forward I think the club will certainly back it going forward and anything that you've read and any expert that's come on and spoke about Poster Coglu that, that's seemingly his, his MO he likes to build teams and he likes to build teams with what he has or youth players you know coming forward so that they, you get longevity from those, those players and we're all for that I think that's a good thing if he's going to promote from the academy Celtic or nothing better than seeing their own coming through and making their mark in the first team the problem with that though is it takes time and unless like you have a quality street gang full of kids coming through and they're all terrific footballers and they can all be relied upon to you know, make their way and make their mark in the first team then so be it but mm. the problem is with a lot of Celtic fans at the moment is they, they don't think we have time. Time is not a commodity that they feels on and Postecoglou's side, mm-hmm. especially with the Champions League bounty at the end of this season. You're straight in 40 million quid for winning the title. So, I, I, and as much as it, it's kind of, it's very idealistic, isn't it? It's a, a romantic way of, of Celtic. Jim will probably like that fact that you bring youth players through and and you know it's it's been it's happened in the past with a lot of them but you know I, I think certainly if he comes in most people like you and I would want to hear like Sir Karamoko then mm-hmm. a try you know we spoke about him at the tail end of last season you know you would like him to come in and maybe give someone like that a fair crack at the whip you know and the, the fact that they're signing young players augurs well 
that's fine. But these are ones that are to be developed over time. And again, has he got has Ange Postacoglu got time? Everybody will get behind them. But if it goes pear shaped very quickly, then that might that worm might turn. You know, everybody is behind him. The Celtic supporters are behind him and they, and they wish him well. But he has to be careful about the, the introduction of youth because there's a time and a place for that. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree and, and I was encouraged. Um, Jim, what are your thoughts? Like, I think it does fit in with the Celtic ethos that hopefully, you know, young players coming through is something that we should focus on. It certainly seems to be something that Ange sees as a priority. Um do you think it's something that we can hopefully implement a bit better than we have done in recent years? I think it just shows the range and complexity of trying to run a football club. So mm. we go out and buy an 18-year-old and from what I read, he's going straight into the Colts. So who decided that? Who decided this? Because, you know, there's no reason why 18-year-old kids couldn't go straight into the first team if they were good enough. Mm-hmm. And what we're reading about Ange, age isn't an issue, you know. So, so I'm a bit confused. Again, you know, obviously... Who thought this this kid was worth buying? Can't imagine it's Ange. He's not in the door yet. So who's actually buying him? And, and why is he going to the coach? Is it because he's not good enough? Is he there to be developed? Is he one for the future? Uh, and I think we're all starting to realise that reality is biting pretty soon mm. because we've all seen the number of days, and those days are going down and down and down. And then you hear, I think we have to register <laughs> the players for the first Champions League game. Is it nine or ten days time? Yeah. And then you start thinking, well, who are we actually going to register for this? And then you start doing work it out. And then what you can hope, or what I can hope, is that all the Euro, all the guys at the Euros can, can play. What I hope is that Ayer hasn't left the building yet. And Eddie maybe hasn't left the building, doesn't go to the Olympics. You know, and maybe Jack Henry's back and Schwede's back by when he may not go for the bolster that Champions League squad. Because, I mean, I think we've all got very low expectations of going to the Champions League, but we want to give it a go. I want to answer a decent number of players there. So I think, yeah, as I said, I think it just shows the complexity of, of, of trying to run the whole thing. Who is a first-team squad player? And the fact that Andrew said you know, he's happy to go with youth, uh, like like Tony, I'd like to think Dembele may get a crack next year. The young guy, Montgomery, said a few weeks ago, he looked as if he's not a bad player. Mm-hmm. And football's one of these things, it's not, it's, it's not an exact science. You know, there's no reason why it, Montgomery could come into the team and just take off. And all of a sudden, he's a first-team player. Then Bailey comes in, scores a wonder goals. All of a sudden, he's a first-team player. So who knows what's around the corner? And that's what we love about football. You don't know what's around the corner. You know, actually come in, find a few gems, hit the ground running, and off we go. But for me, I just found it interesting that we're buying this 18-year-old. He's going to the Colts. So somebody's made that decision to bring the guy in. Somebody's made that decision to say, he's nothing to do with the first-team score. He's a, he's, a, he's a Colts player. So the quicker the big man gets in, the better and get this kind of stuff sorted out. Yeah, I, I totally agree as far as that's concerned. Just to come back to you, Jim, and, and Tony, I'll get your thoughts on it as well. Um, obviously, we've got FC Mitchell and uh, the draw is known. I, th- I think from my personal point of view, it looked like um, it looked like probably the most favourable draw we could have got out of who was there. But um, it was interesting to hear Ange say as well that obviously there's, a, there's an Australian international on the side and so he's been keeping track of of Mitchell and it might be at this case that he knows them better than he knows his own team just now but what what, what did you make of the draw are you are you pleased with it or is, is it one of these things like you say we're just going to have to go and give it a good good go a red hot crack as they would say in Australia I think <laughs> <laughs> I think the matter who we get or who we go up is going to be hard 
Uh, I think if we'd have played any of those three teams at the same stage last season, we'd think this will be hard. And mm. I think Ange's coming in there was a huge task ahead. And I know you tend to look at some of these teams and you think, well, it'd be good if we got them, good if we got them. If you look at Michelin's record in the last couple of years, it's pretty good. Mm. Pretty good, you know. So uh, I think there'll be two extremely hard games. Uh, I think we'll do well to get through. I've got very low expectations of Europe this year. Nothing to do with Angie's coming in. He'll do the best he can. If he gets into the Champions League this year, that'll be the, you know, one of the most astonishing things that mm. we've had in the last 20, 30 years. So I think a hard game. Hopefully he's he's, he's, he's team up to speed in terms of fitness and organisation. And it's not like 50-50. So uh, yeah. let's see how it goes. Tony, what what are you making of the draw? Obviously, I think I think most Celtic fans were saying, you know, if we can avoid Galatasaray, we've won a watch. Um, but thereafter, it was kind of much of a muchness. I think I think like Jim says, most of what we'll be hoping for is to see some sort of cohesion and some sort of plan of the way that Ange is going to play, even if he's not fully implemented it by the time the qualifiers come around. I said in one of the previous posts, if Ange can negotiate the Champions League qualifiers, he'll be a miracle worker. Mm. I will go down as one of the greatest achievements in the last 20, 30 years. I, I'm, yep. I'm not setting a high bar. It doesn't matter who we play in Europe. It's going to, it was going to be hard. Mm. Any opposition we got in Europe was going to be hard for the man coming in. So I'm exempting Ange from any failure uh, regarding this whole European qualification or, or, or tilted Europe. If he does it, honestly, I, I will bow down at his feet and say, man's got ability. You know, but uh, there'll be no blame attachment if Celtic go crashing out to Michelin or the next one. You know, Michelin is probably the best they could have hoped for at this stage. A trip to Turkey to face Galatasaray, then you were, you know, you were looking. That, that was a, a seriously tricky tie. So yeah. I think we'll be thankful for small mercies. And I think everybody just wants to see the shape, how we line up. And as Jim alluded to there, who's actually going to be playing for Celtic? Mm. In, in these games what squad have we got Who, who's who's staying who's going because it is now what less we're now in the 30s in terms of days mm. that's not very long you know and, and the manager's still quarantining but you, he, he clearly is working away behind the scenes because he's telling you with his uh, interviews and stuff that he's he's working hard and they're doing stuff so there are decisions being made you know, but as Tim says, we've got to register our squad soon. Who's actually going to be in that squad and, and will they play? I mean, I think people want to know that for a start. But I I guess I don't like words such as free hit and that kind of thing when you, ref, you refer it to Celtic. But I think Ange has got a free hit at this one mm. because expectations are, are not high. So if he exceeds your expectations, brilliant. I think everybody will get on board and, and get behind him. And, and if he doesn't, then you shrug your sword and say, well, you know, we weren't expecting too much anyway, so we got what we expected. But uh, I'm, I'm fully behind him. But I, I think he's got a, a hard job on his hands. And I, I don't think Michelin, as Jim said, I mean, Rangers did take seven off them, didn't they? A couple of seasons ago, is that right? Yeah, that's right, yep. One seven three and one aggregate, so... Uh, I don't know if that's any gauge or it's a similar team to what Rangers faced back then, but you know, if, the, if Rangers can prove that they can go there and win, and I think they won handsomely in Denmark, then you'd like to think Celtic could maybe do the same. 
Mm-hmm. I, I, I think I'm the same as far as both of you are concerned. I've got no great expectations as far as Europe goes. Um, I just hope that uh, we all give Ange the patience and the time that he deserves in the event that we do go out of Europe because, you know, we've seen reactions in previous years obviously under different circumstances to going out of Europe and and it being a, a you know a major major issue for for some teams of course Gordon Strachan started with that defeat to Art Media Bratislava and it ended up turning out not too bad for him anyway so um you know it's no indication of how things are going to go going forward but um yeah about a month to go now and uh, we've just got to wait and see what happens with it um Obviously, the ideal would be to be back in Europe in any form next season, even if it's not the Champions League, if we can somehow wangle our way into the Europa League through. Um, I don't know how exactly that works, but, um, but you know, we, we, we wait and see what happens with it. Um, for the last uh, 10 minutes of the show or so, I thought what we would do is, you know, we're not a Scotland podcast, we're not a Euros podcast. We actually have a, a daily Euros bulletin on a State of Mind YouTube channel, which if you go and subscribe to, you'll get notifications of that going live. Um, that's hosted by Sean McGill and uh, he does a really good job having different guests on every day doing a, an overview of the day's events. But here, of course, we'll be uh, focusing on the home nation. Um Jim, I'll come to you first. You've obviously been to to Scotland games at major tournaments and seen them play. And uh, uh, first of all, before we get to talking about the big one tonight, what was your what was your assessment of the 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 opening match against the Czech Republic last week? What did you make of it? I think like most games, Laura, when it's actually happening on the aftermath of the game, emotion tends to kick in, and you look for all the kind of faults. But in fact. Scotland were the better team they made the better mm. chances in terms of expected goals I know that Tony doesn't like this stuff but in terms of expected goals I think we were the fourth highest at that point in time uh, missed chances should have scored just lacked that bit of quality at the top end of the pitch their first goal was a f- fantastic goal albeit it came from a set piece and I don't blame Marshall for the second goal at all it was just a phenomenal finish uh, mm-hmm. I used to run kids team if you're a coach you're always looking at all the part you're looking at all your players and if David Marshall was too far out his goals the coaching staff would have told him boy back a bit you know so I over the course of the game I thought we were dead unlucky but having seen Scotland I'm you know we're looking at all these young people who were going to watch Scotland for the first time but if somebody had told me after the game how'd the game go well, we made loads of chances and missed them all they scored before half time and they got for 50 yards I think that was about right to in a major tournament that's how it tends to work uh, so I thought they were unlucky, but they had to win the game last week. If they had any chance of qualifying, unless results go a bit funny uh, today, uh, hopefully the Czechs take something today. Uh, I expect us to lose tonight and go into Monday, uh, into Tuesday, maybe with some sort of chance, maybe qualifying. But I think we're a pretty limited team, as I maybe said last week. We're going to the tournament. We haven't beaten anyone of note. Uh, we get through the back door, and even then it was in penalty kicks. We've got maybe three or four very, very good players. But we lack any quality up front. And uh, I'm a bit fearful for tonight. I think tonight's a bit like watching Celtic away in Europe. It's like kind of hiding behind the couch and uh, <laughs> tell me when it's finished type of thing. And if we can get away, we're not losing by any more than three goals. I'll be I'll be happy tonight. I don't, I don't think Steve Flat will change very much from uh, Monday. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I'd like him to do, uh, this is going back to a Celtic thing, would be that I think, if there's, I, mean, I think there's a few weaknesses in that English team, whether we're any good, 
to exploit the weaknesses. I'm not so sure, but the one they have is playing their right back at left back. They're playing Kieran Trippier at left back. And I think mm-hmm. that'd be tailor made for James e. Forrest. So I'd like to see James e. Forrest playing up against him. And if Kieran's fit, then maybe Robertson's the other side of that. Uh, so the heart says we've got a chance tonight. The head says we're behind the couch and just give me a shout when it's finished. <laughs> um, yeah, Tony, I'll come to you first for your thoughts on the Czech Republic game. I have to admit, I, w- I was working, so I didn't see the game. And I came out to all these tweets and, and reviews of the game and, you know, we were shocking and we were this and that. I watched the extended highlights and though they don't tell the whole story, I did feel a little bit like... Actually, I don't think it was all that bad. I think we hit the bar. They were lucky not to score an OG and they scored a goal that, you know, you can never plan for. Uh, Apart from obviously not having your goalie stand on the centre circle when the striker's 20 yards away. But what what was your assessment of it? Was it as negative as some people were going or were you more in Jim's boat that, you know, it wasn't too bad on reflection? Nah, I thought he picked the wrong team for a start. Mm. I thought it was two bang average teams and... One team scored two goals, while the other was pretty negligent with their chances that they created. But I watched Wales the other day, and they've got Bale and Ramsey to lift them out of the ordinary. Yeah. Sadly, Scotland don't have that. You know, we've got a team of decent footballers, but we don't have a, a Bale or Ramsey. Like, I mean, that goal the other day that Wales scored, the pass from Bale to Ramsey was world class. Don't care what anybody says. Mm. You know, and I just looked and I thought, do we have anybody in the Scotland team that can do that? And who's he going to pass it to to produce that finish? Because the chest and the control are just absolutely sensational. And that's what you need at international level to win these kind of games. And I thought the Czech Republic game was a... That was a game where Scotland should have gone all in. I thought Clark mm-hmm. played Forrest and missing Kieran Tierney was a blow. But, you know, we had to attack to win that game. Yeah, we missed a couple of chances, but were we on top for long periods? No, we weren't. You know, and yeah, the guy scored a wonder goal. I'd still be questioning the goalkeeper's position, though. He shouldn't be that far out. But the guy has the guy's executed a world class strike. But the fact the goalkeeper's position has made up his mind, he's got one shot at it. And people say that's the one in a hundred. Well, he picked the one in a hundred and he executed it brilliantly. So you 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 take your hat off to that. As for tonight. I don't know, there's something in me that says Scotland are going to get something from it. I don't know why, it might just be the whole brave heart attitude and get ripped into them. But mm. as Jim says, I think Trippi could be a weak link if he plays Forrest. But I, I don't know, I, I just feel that you have to get something now, so you're going to have to attack. And I just think that England have got players that could pick you off. Yeah. You look at players that didn't play for England the other day, Jack Grealish, guys like that. They they, they frighten you because they're 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 good footballers. You know, what yeah. I mean? they're wonderful footballers who can hurt you. You know, so I, I I like Jim. I feel that it might be a behind the couch job, but I'm hoping and I think I don't know something inside me says that Scotland are always at their best when they're kind of underdogs and everything's against them and they produce these results from nowhere so I'm hoping it's one of those nights or or they give Brazil a helping hand and score an OG for them when they've already got Ronaldo up front yeah yeah something like that yeah um, but you know like my, my thoughts on tonight's game are 
there's not as much to fear in the England team as I think a lot of people would think. You know, Harry Kane struggled against Croatia and I know he's got an, a fantastic scoring record that can't be argued with. But very often I watch him and I, and I tweeted it. If, if teams manage to throttle the supply to him, he struggles in games. He, he, he comes deep looking for the ball and that gets him away from the goal and, and he's he's at his most dangerous when he's in the box so if you can force him to come out of the box looking for the ball then then you can you can nullify a lot of his threat um, where I think the fear comes from for me well another weakness before I go into where the fear comes from uh, they're kind of lauding the return of Harry Maguire and I pray that he ends up getting picked because my goodness I have never seen a more average centre back in my entire life how he's ended up at Man United I have no idea he's living off the he's living off the the sort of remnants of a semi-final run at the 2018 World Cup and I think he'll dine on it forevermore. A European Cup victory in Lisbon in 1967 it is not, so we can forgive Bertie that because that was an actual achievement. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, where, I th- where I do fear them is I think Mason Mount is very dangerous, I think Phil Foden is very dangerous, I think Sterling if he's up for the match uh, on his day can be very dangerous. They've got p- people that aren't even in the starting lineup like Marcus Rashford that they can bring off the bench who's not even starting games you know there's there's a lot to fear Um, but I think think, uh, like sorry on you go Jim on you go no I think midfield to front I think they're very good they've got tons of options I think the back Mm. four and the goalkeeper didn't look too clever uh, Mm. watching the game last Sunday and the full backs aren't too clever and the two centre backs I didn't think were that great but I don't think we have good enough players to get at them I think when they come up against Germans or the French and stuff like that, I think then we'll see weaknesses at the back. Uh, but I don't think yeah. we're good enough. I, I kind of struggle to, to see where the goals are going to come from. And that's why I've, I've said in the yeah. past that Lee should have been in that squad, even just to get, you know, in the last 20 minutes or something, a free kick or something like that. Because he's some somebody that goals would actually came from. And uh, it's just, we're missing that lack of quality at that top end of the park. Steve Clark's teams have always been very stuffy. There's no way we can go tonight and go gung-ho. I mean, it's just keep it keep it nil nil for as long as we can, or one nil for as long as we can, and try and sneak a goal near the end. And that that would be the Steve Clark plan, and that's a kind of sensible plan because to go gung ho against that kind of team. And I think watching the game on Sunday there, England were very good the first twenty minutes. And if mm. England had to score in the first twenty minutes, they might have just run riot. And that's my concern tonight: is they come out with traps like that and score in the first twenty minutes, and it's going to be. Not just one couch behind, we'll have to be behind two or three couches tonight if it ends up like that. So, yeah. Just to bring it back to Celtic a bit, Tony, um, as Jim says there, you know, options up front are, are few and far between. I don't think Lyndon Dykes will be striking fear into the heart of any defence. Um, I don't think Che Adams is, you know, he, he seemed to improve the performance certainly slightly when he came on against the Czech Republic, but by no means is he the answer that we're looking for either. Um, given that uh, Forrest is just coming back from injury and McGregor didn't play the first game. Do you think? Do you see either of them playing? I think Forrest, uh, given the way he ended the season, would be an excellent outball for us if we're going to be pinned in an awful lot. Yeah, I think Forrest has to play. Forrest can cre- create for a start. I'm not, I mean, Jim C, you don't advocate going gung ho, but he's a good outlet. You take mm. the ball a walk and, you know, just give your defence a breather, which they might need on, yeah. on quite a lot of occasions. But also he can create, he can cross, he can set up, and, he, and he's 
you know, he likes a big game goal himself. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget. So yeah. I think uh, yeah. I think Forrest would be ideal. This is a, a game tailor made for someone like Forrest. Mm-hmm. If we are, as Jim says, going to soak up and try and maybe hit an encounter at some point, you know, then he's the man that can help unlock a defence and take advantage of any kind of deficiencies in that English defence. You know, so if Forrest doesn't play, I'll be pretty surprised and I'll be pretty disappointed as well. Mm-hmm. But again, I I look at look I look at that team and I, I I never thought at any time against the Czechs that Scotland were going to score. No. I, I just had that kind of foreboding sense of doom about it. I know we had the bar and we created chances, but yeah. C Adams lifted the performance. But Lyndon Dykes just showed you what he is. Might be a good club player, but for international level, you need a, you need a hell of a lot more. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm with Jammer. I've took Lee Griffiths along for the very fact that Lee Griffiths functions in a, a very simple way with football. Man gets ball, man wants to score. That's the way Lee Griffiths thinks. Mm-hmm. You know, given the ball, he will shoot from any distance. He's, he's, also, a, he's also a real threat from set pieces as yeah, well. And then you've got a set piece as well, 20, 30 even 40 yards from goal, he fancies himself. So mm. for those for those factors alone, I would have taken him. And I know he's maybe not 100% fit, but he could have got half an hour. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Or 60 minutes, whatever way you want to swing that. And say, look, you're on here to score. Score. And, yeah. and, you know, he would have given his all to try and score. I'm but, sure of it. Um, Jim, just to, just to finish off, is are you in agreement? Well, I'm sure you are in agreement about Forrest uh, having a role to play. Do you see it happening tonight? It obviously depends how Steve Clark feels. I, I think he's going to play virtually the same team. Uh, mm-hmm. If Tierney's back, I may be unchanged. Because I think, I mean, I know Tony says he's maybe picked the wrong team for Monday there. But with a wee bit of luck, we'd have won the game. And I think that's how Steve Clark tends to look at it. Don't do it in silly. I think he's quite risk-averse. You know, we bit a lot. We win the game in football. You'd be bit of luck now and yeah. again. We didn't get much luck in uh, Monday. Whether you think we deserved the luck or not, that's a kind of different thing. But I think you'll be dead cautious. And then, if we do get to the last twenty minutes and we've got a chance of winning it, maybe he might do something then. But uh, it's going to be really difficult. Really, really difficult tonight. Yeah. We can, but uh, well, yeah, we can. We can only be. We can only be optimistic. We will. We will certainly all be there watching anyway, cheering on. Um, regardless of what the result is, this is a kind of a once in a generation thing playing against England in the in the finals of a major tournament. So we'll enjoy it for for that, if nothing else. Um, thanks everybody for watching on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Get subscribed, share the show. There's loads of content still coming every day for you, um, and there will be for for months to come. Uh, not long till the new season starts either. So there's plenty going to be chatted about there. Thanks very much for watching. Come on, Scotland and Bertie. Our thoughts are with you.
It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network.